and welcome to another episode of the Raging Marks Wrestling Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Total Nonstop Kirk, and how fitting it is today to be TNK because we are discussing the TNA Impact Wrestling 20 years of being in professional wrestling. They just had their 20-year anniversary, June 19th, 2022. We just had the Slammiversary pay-per-view this past Sunday on June 19th. It was a very good pay-per-view, three hours long. They had a lot of TNA originals. Uh, we're going to get into all that, but uh, I'm sitting here with uh, Rampage Ramsey, putting some show notes together. What's going on, Ramsey? Not much. I guess I, I, guess I drew the unlucky stick, and uh, Randy got the, the lucky stick. Yeah, no ravishing Randy today, unfortunately. He, uh, we had some scheduling conflicts. We weren't able to do it last week, and uh, he had something come up spur of the moment. So, yeah, no ravishing Randy today, unfortunately. But uh, either way, we wanted to put something out, and uh, I put this together for about a week or two, and I really wanted to get into it because, you know, how in the world has TNA been in business for 20 years? It's just mind-boggling. And thankfully, I'm grateful as TNK but overall, it's just, you know, it's fascinating how they stayed in business. And we're going to discuss it. We're going to talk about the history of TNA. And like I said, they just had their 20-year anniversary this past week with Slammiversary. Uh, we had the likes of, they, they did a lot of pa video packages of TNA's past. They had Sting discuss some of his favorite moments in TNA history, talking about he was able to express himself as the Joker's thing, which he liked. He technically had his final match with Hulk Hogan in TNA, which I kind of forgot about, but that is true. And we also had Kurt Angle do a little video package talking about... Because he Kurt Angle spent more time in TNA than he did in WWE, and that is a fact. Also, probably the biggest shocker for a lot of people was AJ Styles did a video package discussing what TNA meant to him his highlights, and then at the end, of course, obviously, he thanked WWE for allowing him to do that. Yo, you know, it's like, oh, gee, WWE, thank you so much for allowing a guy to just come on for two minutes and say thank you to his ex-promotion. You know, when he can't validate his past, that to me is insane. Why? Like, why wouldn't a company let somebody who's got paid, start, got his start, just say, hey, man, I just want to come on and just say thank you on their, on their television. Start? Well, I'm sorry. Well, not, okay, not his start, first, but... First, first, first thing... His start is belongs to WWE, so you know what? <clears throat> and yeah, why would you want to, you know, that be thankful for WWE? Yeah, should be thankful for WWE to give him the chance to go, you know? Why, you know, why not? Well, I'm just saying, like, hey, man, it's like, look, just go to WWE, be like, hey, man, TNA, they got the 20th anniversary. I was with them for about, you know, well over, you know, 10 years. I started the company, I was their franchise player. They want me to do a video package. Let me just say thank you. Is that cool? Like, I don't see an issue with that whatsoever. For you know, the fact that you know, like they had to ask permission, they could have said no. Like that's me just fucking stupid. But well, that's like that's well, that's like saying like if if you're if you're um, LeBron James and you're NBA and there's an upstart that was at during the time like A W ABA and he goes to ABA and say hey hey thank you you know about no. But you still have a contract with the NBA. No, I got you. I got you. Look as much as. Impact is a laughing stock right now. It's still a competitor. And you gotta wipe out your competitor. Don't wanna give it beef it beef it up. Because you wanna make sure it's weak as possible so when you buy it, it's cheaper. Oh man. And they could absolutely do that if they wanted to. But we're gonna get into the history of TNA and just kind of discuss 
the facets that have built the company, how it got started, what it let, where it pretty much ended up and where it is today, the good, the bad, the ugly. We're going to get into it all and we're going to try and do it into a pretty timely format and make it interesting from a business perspective, not just, um, you know, nostalgia purely for me. Uh, we're going to get into the real of it, the good, the bad, and there was a lot of bad, but also there was a lot of good in TNA that I feel. But, uh, you know, Ramsey's here. He's going to keep me in check. If any point he wants to come on shit on, he's more than welcome to do so. But with that said, let's get started. So, Essentially, how TNA was formed was, you know, Vince McMahon purchased both WCW and ECW. McMahon made it very clear on live television that Jeff Jarrett was not welcome in WWE. <laughs> so, Bob Ryder, Jeff Jarrett, and Jerry Jarrett went on a fishing trip one day, and they contemplated the future of professional wrestling business. Only one wrestling product remained in the United States National Television, WWE. Bob Ryder felt that this situation led to many television stations regarding wrestling as just bad for business. I mean, he's not wrong. So he suggested a company not relying on television, but rather one going straight to pay-per-view. Jeff Jarrett and his father, Jerry Jarrett, put their put in their own money. Jer uh, Jeff put about 600000 Jerry put 300000 So their budget was roughly, you know, close to a million dollars. Jeff Jarrett used his connections to recruit key, key personnel and wrestlers themselves. Uh, for, really, he got funding from another company as well, but they were going to put on their first ever weekly pay-per-view. So Jeff used his connections with WCW and his uh, from the outside promotions. He had names like Scott Hall, Ken Shamrock, Buff Bagwell, and then he also used cheaper young developing talent stars like AJ Styles, Loki, the American Outlaws, James Storms, and Chris Harris. So at the time, television networks were not interested in professional wrestling. TNA would air on a Wednesday night pay per view for a low cost, and I remember seeing that back in the day. I think it was like. With two four ninety nine something like that, maybe at the highest was nine ninety nine, but it wasn't that expensive. The show mainly aired. Well, let's see. Oh, oh I skipped. Debuting on June nineteenth, two thousand two, in Huntsville, Alabama. By the way, the show almost didn't make air because they had a four hundred fifty five fifty pound wrestler named Cheeks that hit the ropes with so much force that he broke the the ropes. So they had to spend hours delaying to fix the ring before the, while the show was already airing. Um. Uh, but but they had, they did do the show. They fixed the ring, and they you know they had the show went on. Their shows going forward aired at the Tennessee State Fairgrounds Sports Arena in Nashville, Tennessee, nicknamed the TNA Asylum. The name was actually NWA TNA in the early days. Ken Shamrock was their first NWA champion. And then starting up in the mid two thousand two, TNA was owned by the Jarretts and financially backed by a company called Health South Corporation. Expecting that lucrative TV deals weren't going to be feasible due to the public downfall of WCW and ECW, TNA opted for, again, a weekly pay-per-view model. Uh, this would not work out long run because they had poor buy rates and things would just kind of fall off with the company Hell Sound. They would cease funding amid a financial scandal. Uh, hemorrhaging their money and believing the company would be out of business pretty much by Christmas of that year, 2002, the Jarrett's let Panda Energy purchase 72% of the company, giving them a lifeline to remain operational while also suffering or putting the expenses onto Panda Energy. Uh, here's where Dixie Carter enters the story. The owner of uh, the PR company, Trifecta Entertainment, TNA Wrestling, was one of the Carter's clients. Jeff Jarrett, desperate to find some new funding for his fledgling wrestling promotion, turned over every stone possible, including one of the firm in charge of TNA's marketing. Dixie's parents owned Panda Energy, a company that built power plants, so they had loads of money already. Carter 
sold her parents on backing TNA, so Panda bought a majority stake in the company. The early years were dependent on younger stars having great matches, you know, AJ Styles, Low Key, Amazing Red, the American Outlaws, primarily the X Division, but also they had recognizable names that people knew from, you know, like Jeff Jarrett, Raven, D'Lo Brown, Ron Killings, a.k.a. R-Truth. These were other stars that they were pushing over as their main uh, main eventers that were recognizable to a, a uh, maybe a casual wrestling fan. Now, T- now we're going to get into TNAs beginning to grow their fan base. After 27 months and 111 weekly pay-per-views, TNA began holding a weekly television show and a monthly three-hour pay-per-view. Uh, the last weekly pay-per-view took place on September 8, 2004, realizing weekly pay-per-views were not profitable for long-term success. Uh, TNA was eventually able to find a TV deal. So in May of 2004, TNA signed with Fox Sports Net, or FSN, and they produced a one-hour weekly show called Impact. TNA Impact produced a sa- was produced at Soundstage 21 at Universal Studios Florida, and it was broadcast on Fox Sports. The transition included a six-sided wrestling ring, which was actually a pretty decent marketing uh, pitch in the long run because it was just unique and it really st- stood out. They also used the implement the implementation of the Fox Box, displaying competitors and timekeeping for a match in a general sports-like style that WWE just didn't have at the time because they were more focused on sports entertainment. In November 2014, they held its first three-hour pay-per-view, TNA Victory Road 2004. Now, mind you, the the television shows weren't doing that well because they were airing on a Friday one-hour time slot. I don't know if you knew any of this going back. Nope. But the, the three-hour pay-per-views were actually getting very good reviews from, like, your, uh, you know, like your Dave Meltzer's, your Brian Alvarez's, the Dirt Sheets, stuff like that. The underground wrestlers, the independent guys. were The shows were actually really good wrestling, the, the three-hour pay-per-views. Let's see. The television contract with Fox Sports expired in May 2005 and was not renegotiated, leaving TNA without a television exposure. This prompted TNA to air Impact via webcast, made available via BitTorrent, and eventually RealPlayer. Even though the company was doing well, the shows were doing very well, their pay-per-view events were getting rave reviews. The September 2005 pay-per-view Unbreakable, which was the first time the X Division Championship main evented a pay-per-view. It had AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Samoa Joe. Look, man, that, that main event tore the house down. It's still the only five-star rated Dave Meltzer match in all of TNA history. And this really got the word out on TNA being a thing. It, it did that so much so that, uh, let's see, you know, obviously the X Division was their main attraction, just like the Cruiserweight Division was to WCW back in the day of yesteryears. And then, you know, stars of yesteryear did attract the casual wrestling fans. Again, Raven, Rhino, Sabu, Jeff Hardy, they were all with the company at this time. TNA was able to secure a deal with Spike TV, and they were able to air their first episode on October 1st, 2005. And a little uh, trivia for you, because I know you don't know this. Making their TNA debut on that first episode of Spike TV was Team 3D, a.k.a. the Deadly Boys. And this led to, uh, because they just got a pretty big deal on Spike TV, which, you know, was TNN back in the day, 
you had ECW in the early 2000s. You had WWE run on their market for a couple of years. Now they're Spike TV. They just signed with TNA. They just signed TNA. Once the Dudley Boys made their debut, now you have such stars as Christian Cage, which was a big signing back then, Scott Steiner, and eventually Sting. Sting had did a couple of one-offs with TNA in like 2004, but he really was convinced to sign late 2005, maybe even early 2006. So, you know, fast forward, now TNA's got names. The X Division's growing up. They got a network. They're getting deals. The hardcore fans, 2006 is where TNA is really probably one of their biggest years for us hardcore fans. It might have had the highest viewership, but you're putting stars over. You're getting ratings in. You're doing fairly well for, for a low-level company. On October 19, 2006, TNA made their biggest signing ever when they announced the signing of Kurt Angle. Immediately, TNA put Kurt Angle with the feud with their undefeated Samoa Joe. And I'm telling you, man, when, when Kurt Angle came out, the fans went crazy. I remember this being such a huge deal because Kurt Angle was the wrestling god. How could WWE let him go? How could he sign with TNA? This pretty much put TNA on the map because now you've got an Olympic gold medalist, one of WWE's biggest names at that time, go, going over to your competition. And you also have Sting, who TNA, I mean, WWE was not able to sign at that time. And that was the franchise player for WCW. And then, like I said, the X Division, Samoa Joe was a beast. He was so over at this time, still undefeated well over a year. Obviously, you got to put him up against Kurt Angle. Uh, so, Kurt Angle was to go on and wrestle Samoa Joe in November 2006 at the Genesis pay-per-view, which was TNA's, was TNA's biggest pay-per-view buy rate with 60,000 buys domestically. The fan base was growing and TNA was running more events out of their home base venue, which was, like we said, Soundstage 21 at Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida. TNA was to go on to eventually get action figures. And they had, at this time, they were going to announce that there was a video game in the pipeline for the future. We'll get to that. Uh... You know, th but overall, things were looking bright for TNA in general at late 2006. Now, here's where things start to go into downturn. Enter Vince Russo again. Yeah, let's let's stop that one. We heard this one before. Yeah, honestly, you heard that before, Vince Russo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you may have heard him time or two, and everybody listening out there may have heard him more than once. So the decline slowly started at the end of 2007. And I'm going to tell you right now, I have a couple of TNA DVDs. I had the best of 2007 DVD because that was like the last time TNA was like really well done. And I don't think they came out with another best of year after that. I tried to look for it online. I couldn't find it. And slowly but surely, this answers my question as to why they didn't do that. Because again, the decline was right about the end of 2007. The man responsible for the decline was Vince Russo. Shocker. Vince Russo was around for the early days of TNA from 2002 to 2004, but he was he was more of an on-camera character than behind the scenes. And then, you know, he would come back two, three years later. But luckily for us, TNA still had a roster full of high performers ready to steal the show at a moment's notice. You know, but then again, Vince Russo, try as he might, would throw crazy storylines and just plain silly match stipulations that got crazier and crazier. Does that sound familiar to you? If you know WCW's history, 99, 2000, 
Yeah, that's Vince Russo. Everything on a pole match, all this shit. Uh, I'll give you some examples of his so-called genius ideas. There was the infamous Last Rites match with Sting and Abyss. The Electrified Steel Cage and the Reverse Royal Rumble, which, by the way, they brought that back this past Sunday on a TNA Slam anniversary, which Shark Boy won. But uh, but during that Last Rites match with Sting and Abyss, which the, they had like cryptic things on the turnbuckles. The match was you're supposed to get your opponent in this coffin in the middle of the ring, but this coffin is laid out in the middle of the ring. So the whole time the wrestlers are wrestling, there's a fucking coffin in the ring. You're supposed to knock your opponent unconscious, put them in the coffin, and then the coffin is supposed to raise up into the ceiling. It was just so... Just such a clusterfuck, and you could audibly hear the fans saying fire Russo to the top of their voices, just chanting that the entire time. So that kind of gave you a preview of what they thought of Vince Russo. Uh, but even though Vince Russo would do everything he could to fuck up the company, uh, the main event was constantly delivered. The X Division was always entertaining. That, to me, is the highlight, and we did a show on the X Division because you know how much I got love for the X Division. And another thing about TNA that I loved, they actually did for a while put an emphasis on tag team wrestling. You had outstanding tag teams like Team 3D. You had Beer Money Incorporated, Motor City Machine Guns. You had They had a focus on uh, tag team wrestling. And then also at this time in 2007 that I will give TNA 100% credit for was you had the, the start of the TNA Knockouts division. The division was led by Gail Kim, Awesome Kung, The Beautiful People. And these girls showed WWE, who was currently doing the Stupid Divas, thing at the time where they would just hire pretty models and just be like oh go ahead and do an athletic match and the matches were garbage TNA was actually putting on women's wrestling the stuff that you see in today's product of wrestling that was what TNA was doing in 2007 now mind you you could say other promotions that we haven't really heard of but to me TNA got it over and if you got any points to that one by all means go ahead but uh yo Kim got it over no, no one else, no one else in that division got it. Well, over. her rivalry with Awesome Kong was pretty damn popular because no, I'm they, sorry, Awesome Kong was a terrible wrestler to, in my eyes. Well, they really put over Gail Kim because Awesome Kong was such a big threat and she dominated that they were the first women to main event an Impact Wrestling uh, weekly show. They, uh, but yeah, Gail Kim kicked ass. She is the number one wrestler. And she's one of my top five when it comes to like women's wrestlers of all time, what they've done for the company. Gail Kim, because of what she did for the TNA Knockouts division, I think a lot of the current wrestling, you can give kudos to Gail Kim on that one. So, let's see. So, right around the summer of 2009, oh, you ready for this? Vince Russo was the head of creative. And he brought back his buddy, tell, stop me if you heard this before, Ed Ferrara. Uh, June shortly thereafter, one of his good old buddies back in the WCW days, uh, you know, Oklahoma. Let me ask you this. Yeah. So whoever was running TNA, did did they read? Did they go for per verbatim how to fuck up a company? Because it seems like they did everything what WCW did. They did exactly to the T. They first bring in all these older name wrestlers from the WWE. Mm-hmm. To make it a splash. Then, after that kind of cooled down, you bring in fucking Vince Russo. It's like they went per verbatim for the playbook how to fucking run your business into the fucking ground. Oh, we're going to get into all this because I am not done by any means. 
Um, now, I, to, your, to your point, I'll answer that as quickly as I can, but I'm going to go delve more deeper into it. Um, so Vince Russo and Jeff Jarrett are obviously boys, because who do you think put Jeff Jarrett over in WCW? Vince Russo. So obviously he's going to bring in Vince Russo to maybe give him ideas or just head of creative, or maybe he just didn't have any fucking body else to hire at the time. So, um, and yeah, because TNA was a, a startup company, you know, unfortunately, as much as I love the X Division, you couldn't necessarily put that as your main attraction because fans didn't really know who they are. They loved it, but you kind of wanted your main event scene to be guys you may have recognized from older promotions. Um, like I said, they had, uh, they did have Raven, they did have D'Lo Brown, they did have Bron Killings, but they're not going to go ahead and you know, put butts in seats as the old adage goes, but they were recognizable faces and it was good to see them get over in a sense while these young stars are shining and then they can go ahead and be pushed. But they bring in the people that had the toxic problems in the back. And of course, like, Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to add to your point right now. Cause next is, uh, my favorite. Uh, this is to me was what really killed TNA. Aside from Vince Russo, Hogan and Bischoff. Uh, Hogan and Bischoff arrived January fourth, twenty ten, which we honestly did some look up when we go over ratings here, because on Jan- Monday, January fourth, which we'll just go ahead and I'll give you ratings later in the show, that was their highest rated TNA Impact rating of all time, one point five million viewership for those listening at home who still count viewers, even though a lot of people cut the cord. Uh, Hogan and Bischoff made their TNA debuts. On that special Monday Night episode, this went head to head with Monday Night Raw, where um, for the this was actually the first time a wrestling company went head to head with Monday Night Raw since March two thousand one. The two wrestling companies competed head to head. Hogan and Bischoff. Oh my God! They as soon as they arrived, they made some major changes that really made TNA what made TNA special to the hardcore fans. They just took it and they fucking shed on it. Number one, they took away the six-sided ring. It was the dumbest fucking shit in the, in the history of wrestling. That's one point. I'm not going to disagree. I love it, though. But And then what they did that I hated, this is Hogan 100%, is that they brought a lot of older, keyword, older, ex-WWE and WCW names that people would recognize um Hogan would bring in his buddies, essentially. He would bring in hangers, what we call them, which is, I hate saying that term. He'd bring in Scott Hall. You'd bring in Sean Waltman. They brought in the fucking Nasty Boys. These guys' primes were, what, 10 years prior to that, if that? Uh, or no, probably 15 years to that date. Uh, but although they did bring in RVD, you know, they brought in Ken Anderson, a.k.a. Mr. Kennedy, which I did really appreciate that. So those two names I'll give you credit for. Another hanger they brought in was Ric Flair, who had already retired at WrestleMania 24, but they brought him in because he couldn't say no to wrestling. Um, you know, they... But this is where things... This is the all-time dumbest idea ever that TNA ever had was Hulk Hogan and Dixie Carter put on a little promotion s- schedule where they... Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, let's talk about this. Okay, so TNA's... This is actually to my point. Thank you for this, Ramsey. So, TNA's highest rating show of all time was a January 4th special, Monday Night Special, which drew a 1.5 million viewership. Monday Night Raw had a returning Brett the Hitman Hart, 
who had been gone from the company since the Montreal Screwjob in November 1997. Monday Night Raw trounced them with a 5.6 million viewership. Okay? But again, TNA had a 1.5 million viewership, which didn't bother uh, the Spike executives at all because that was a number they could throw out to advertisers and sponsors. To, so this then, because Hogan had the genius idea of, oh man, we need to recreate Hogan and Bischoff. They're like, we need to recreate the Monday Night Wars of yesteryear. So let's get into it. On um, March 8th, 2010, Impact Wrestling went head-to-head. They were going to premiere Monday Night Raw and and finally, the Monday Night, War- Monday Night Wars were going to return. And the glory days of, of wrestling in the 90s were going to once again be here in the now. But it only lasted nine weeks. Gee, I wonder why. Because WWE trounced them in the ratings. How could it go any other, day, any other way? Because what made TNA special was WWE was aired on Monday night. So if you're a wrestling fan, Mondays are for all. Fans tuned into wrestling on Thursdays because it was like, hey, here's another wrestling company that's not competing with anybody. We're going to watch it. If you're a casual wrestling fan or if you're a diehard wrestling fan, you're going to watch. Your highest ratings is when you're not competing. So nine weeks, nine weeks, and they made it seem like this is going to last forever and they were going to be legit competition. They were an alternative, but were they competition? No, not not. Not even close to WWE. So, uh, so sadly, we're going to talk about the death and decline of TNA. Uh, you know, TNA were focused on. Yeah. So let's let's take a let's take a, a rampage. Uh, let's take oh. a rampage shit on TNA right now. Go ahead. So you said in March they started going head to head on uh, March 2010. They started going head to head with uh, Raw. Yes. All right. So. In March, uh, Raw had a 3.7, and uh, March... Um, March 8, 2010. March 1st. Um, that does I'm on March 5th. Oh, yeah, March 1st. So that week. Let's just go by the week. Yeah. So March 1st to the 5th, Raw had a 3.7, and um, Impact had a 1.4. Oh, by the way, NXT had a 1.24. Um, the next week, uh, second week of March, Raw 3.4, Impact 1.0, uh, NXT 1.0. Um, oh, and by the way, both weeks, uh, SmackDown had a 2.0. So, uh, going to the third week of March, Raw 3.7, uh, Impact had a 0.8, uh, NXT had a 0.9, SmackDown 1.8, Fucking superstars beat fucking Impact with a 0.89. So, and it just gets, starts getting worse going further. And they had some highs and some, and some, but it was mostly lows going against uh, WWE, uh, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and uh, Superstars. That was on syndication. That, like, I love me some TNA, but I just thought it was a, Overall, one of the dumbest ideas they've ever had was that idea right there. And thank you, Ramsey, for bringing up those um, ratings because I was curious myself how they did in comparison. And to know that superstars beat them one week, God, that hurts. That no, no, hurt, that one hurts. week. Multiple. Multiple weeks. That that hurts. That hurts me as a TNA fan. 
Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, I've done my job, people. I've done my job. Literally, soul crushing. I heard his soul. Uh, God, we'll push forward. And sadly, i got to discuss the decline, in, essentially, of TNA. TNA, at this time, were focused... Well, they actually... They were trying to focus more on expanding their global outreach. TNA had partnered with OVW and the Japanese-based wrestling promotion, uh, Russell One. While dipping their toe in the Indian or the India market with a uh, Rinka King, sadly the company wasn't profitable. Uh, many of the TNA high prize acquisitions, a la your Kevin Ashes, your big stars of yesteryear, were slowly going the wayside. Along with, and here's the key factor: along with their homegrown star talents, they were beginning to leave for greener pastures, and they left just due to bad creative, and the company as a whole was just not profitable. And here's are the stars that left around this time. And these were the true TNA originals, pioneers that led the company that real fans, the hardcore fans, cared about. Your AJ Styles, your Samoa Joes, Chris Saban, Christopher Daniels, Kazarian, Bobby Roode, Cowboy James Storms. Those names are synonymous with TNA original. And those names eventually left the company, or some of them left for a period to come back and make appearances. But overall, just kind of... Chris Saban's with the company today. But he left the company for a while. Cowboy James Storm went back to the company, although he was, went off with NXT for a little while. But the fact that you lost AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, that hurts. So, once again, are we talking about the history of TNA or WCW? Because, once again, we go back to say the history of WCW when it started declining. When those cruiserweights oh, Eddie started Guerrero. cruising... Start, start leaving mm-hmm. for greener pastures. It to me it sounds like TNA just picked up and say, "Hey, we ain't trying to be like WWE. We're trying to be like WCW, and we're <laughs> going to try to go out in style." That what it seems like. To no, me. you're a hundred percent spot on. I mean, that is a hundred percent true. The names that I just brought up, because in late 1999, early 2000, you had Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Perry Saturn. They all left. WCW and those were big mid card names. True, your hard, your best wrestlers that just left went to WWE. So now, okay, so WCW, where who are you pushing? You're not pushing younger stars. The fans want these guys to get runs. You're not giving it to them. Chris Jericho's another one. They're leaving to go to WWE. TNA's doing the same thing. Your homegrown talent names that we know today that are main eventers that have world champions. The, this was on TNA's roster, and they didn't give a shit about them, and they let them leave. Um, so, you know, even though, uh, so yeah, these names that carry the company slowly began to exit, and even though Jeff Jarrett started the company, he was only a small investor at this time. Je- Jarrett had no real power with the company. He was mainly just a, a part-time TV wrestler at best. Jeff would go on to start Global Force Wrestling, um... Hogan's run ended in 2013. Bischoff left in 2014. Vince Russo was purported to have left the company in 2012. But in 2014, word got out that Vince Russo was secretly rehired as a TNA consultant. And when Spike TV found out about that, because Spike TV and the executives did not get along with Vince Russo, when they found out that he was still kind of with the company behind the scenes, they went fucking, they were ballistic pissed. And they uh, cut their deal with... uh, TNA. They kicked him off the network. So now their contract expired in September 2014 for that matter. 
And so November 19, 2014, TNA announced that it had reached a deal with Discovery Communications to move its programming, which included Impact Wrestling, to Destination America as of January uh, 2015. So again, we were having other stars leave the company. New, uh, when, let's see. No, I think I might have got my timing wrong with this one. Um, <clears throat> so Which one was... Uh, Shit stain uh, uh, in the uh, uh, TNA. With Ferson Vitruso? Yeah. Well, he left supposedly in 2012. When he started. Initially, when he first started the company? Yeah. He was there like in the original 2002. He was like an on-air guy. He was with them from 2002 to 2004. And then so he came... So you're, you're telling me it was... Um, you actually had Jim Cornette and him uh, at TNA at the same time and someone, no one died? Very briefly, I have to believe so. Yeah, I forgot. It was two thousand six to two thousand nine that uh, Cornette was with TNA. Wow, they must have kept them in separate fucking buildings for, for all I know. Jesus, fuck! I can't keep them away from everything because another fucking him, Cornette probably would try to fucking kill his ass. He would have stabbed him. Oh yeah, he would. <laughs> he would have keyed him for sure. God damn, fucking Kentucky! We got a key for everything. But yeah, it just uh. Oh, March twenty ten, Cornette sent. Then TNA official Terry Taylor email in which he said, I want Vince Russo to die. If I could figure out a way to murder him without going to prison, I would consider it the greatest accomplishment of my life. You motherfucker. And you wonder why they didn't fucking survive. Yeah, they uh, no disparities whatsoever. I mean, so let's see. Yeah, they signed with uh, January 15, 2015 with Destination America. And then as of November... Let's see, November 2015, that run didn't last long whatsoever because nobody watched Destination America. I didn't even have Destination America. I didn't know what the hell it was. So then they eventually got a deal with Pop TV to air Impact Wrestling. Because that's even better now. That was even worse. (laughs) Uh, I think I did have Destination America in retrospect, but I did not have Pop TV. Uh, That aired on January 5th, 2016. Uh, they had the barbecue uh, war shows on Destination America. Yeah, it's a Discovery Communications show, so yeah. That's I've, all I know about Destination America is the, bar- the barbecue champion tournament. That, that's it. Here's a little fun fact for you. I know New Japan cut ties with TNA somewhere in between this time period because uh, Kazuchi Okada, who is like their biggest star right now, although he just lost his belt to uh, Jay White, the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, but he was the guy that had all those fucking six-star matches, seven-star matches, which broke the five-star match rating with uh, Kenny Omega. They had him... TNA actually had Kazuchi Okada on their roster, but they put him as a fucking stereotypical... They put him as the Bruce Lee, Greenhornic sidekick Kato character, legitimately. I don't know if, like, I don't know if they were the Greenhornet that they re-aired with uh, Seth Rogen. This was a show back in the 70s, and Bruce Lee was the sidekick, the Asian sidekick that kicked ass. His name was uh, Kato, and they gave Kazuchi Okada this exact role, stereotypical Asian role, and they named him uh, Okada was the name. That really pissed off New Japan, so New Japan cut their ties with TNA. I just, you know, a little fun fact for you right there, the fuck-ups of TNA. But, uh, uh, let's see, so they went to go air on Pop TV. Back in 2016, TNA was struggling for money. 
This is where things get a little shady in my research because I couldn't really figure out who was putting up money because there was this big speculation. TNA's Go Home show was Bound for Glory. That was like their WrestleMania, which was airs in October of every year. They were thinking about not even putting on the show because they didn't have the funding for it. Hold on. So, hold on. Let me get some business aspect on this one. Yeah. So, their biggest show of the year mm -hmm. is in October. Correct. Smack down in the middle of NFL and college football season. Uh, yeah, usually it's late. So the World Series would usually be over at this point. No, because World Series ends in November. Well, there you go. World Series still. So World Series, college football, and NFL. And they there's on a, on a Wednesday night in October. Yes, correct. WCW's biggest event was Halloween Havoc, which also aired. Well, actually, Starcade, but Bischoff says it was Halloween no, Havoc. No, it's Starcade. To me, it's Starcade. But once again, that company did what? Yeah, they did pull the WCW, yes, October. Okay. Well, you couldn't do it in March, obviously, in April because of WrestleMania, but yeah. Still, you got you you got NFL games May, all at the same time, yeah. June, yeah. July. No, you're right. I, I won't disagree with you on that one. But the thing that was, was like, they didn't know how they were going to put it on the show. And miraculously, they got some sort of funding from a third party, which I have yet to figure out who the hell that was. Some people think it might have been, um, actually, I'm going to get on, I'm going to, it could have, some people thought it was Billy Corgan, but I don't think it was. I think it was the company with uh, the, the Harris Brothers, the one that they owned, and I should have had this. I might have put it on another spreadsheet that I don't have on me. Shame on it me. It don't matter, because it's still going to be, it's, it's a failing Either way, prospect. they... So, but I do want to touch on Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins uh, with his time with TNA. So, Billy Corgan, the lead singer of Smashing Pumpkins, was a huge wrestling fan. And he currently owns NWA Promotion, which airs on YouTube. Um, he was obviously had some, you know, a little bankroll with him for his time being a big-time rock star in the 90s. He became involved with TNA. Billy Corgan, essentially, what he was funding, or he put in about $1.8 million of his own money as an investment with the company to kind of give them some leeway as a personal loan to the, uh, President Dixie Carter because they were struggling so much financially between 2015 and 2016. Billy Corgan wanted to buy the TNA company overall as a purchase, but Dixie Carter didn't want to... I think she led him on as if he could eventually purchase the company, but he didn't get the company, and he never got to recoup the, uh, the money that he invested with that company. So he has very... Sour taste in his mouth in regards to TNA. And shame on TNA for doing that, by the way. Um, here's where Anthem Sports and Entertainment gets involved. So the current owner of TNA, or excuse me, Impact Wrestling, is Anthem Sports Entertainment. Uh, let's see, a couple of months after Billy Corgan got financially involved in TNA, Anthem Sports and Entertainment, a Canadian sports broadcasting company, would buy a majority share or stake in TNA. Corgan would pursue legal action to deal with all the money TNA owed him and eventually reach a settlement. As a result, Anthem's purchase of TNA, a restructuring would occur. With Dixie Carter moving from a management position to being on Anthem Sports Advisory Board while still acting as a majority shareholder of TNA. With Anthem Sports' acquisition of TNA, the promotion underwent a much-needed rebranding. As many would agree that TNA was a bad pun that did not age well past its prime in the early beginning as an edgy, attitude-era-esque promotion. Therefore, by spring 2017, the company, which, okay, here's a little fun fact for you. 
the gentleman that would go on to Impact Wrestling show that would reveal the new name of the company was Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard found his way as a some a voluntary executive of the company at this time because there's something to wrestle with kind of got him hot in 2017. So he was kind of an on-screen character doing things within the company. And he would go on to say that the company's new name is going to be Impact Wrestling from here on out. Uh, where are we going with this one? Yeah, it was spring 2017, the company would be renamed as Impact Wrestling to match the name of the flagship program. Let's see, somewhat ironically, it was also during this time that Jeff Jarrett would be brought back into the fold, resulting in another, albeit brief, name change. Uh, during this time away from TNA Impact, Jer Jeff Jarrett would start a new wrestling promotion called Global Force Wrestling, and the plans were to merge uh, Global Force Wrestling and Impact, rebranding re the company yet again as Global Force Wrestling. The idea was to create, as the name would suggest, a genuine global wrestling brand with international broadcasting deals and working partnerships with promotions in Japan and Mexico. However, despite the rebranding, the, the deal would never actually go through, and Jarrett would leave the company yet again, taking his GFW trademarks with him. There would be another acquisition in 2019, but this time it would work in Impact's favor. Impact's parent company, Anthem, would buy a majority stake in Access TV, a former satellite broadcaster of, con of concerts, sports, and pro wrestling, namely former TNA partner New Japan Pro Wrestling and WOW, Women of Wrestling. They had expanded to some cable providers and other venues. As a result, Impact would air on Access TV, which it still airs on Thursday nights, 7 o'clock Central Time today, a much more stable home than many of its post-Spike TV channels. Now... If we want to rewind a little bit, it was Anthem Sports Entertainment that came to TNA's rescue. TNA had been on the cusp of bankruptcy and foreclosure God knows how many times. TNA seemed to have nine lives and somehow always came out okay. Dixie Carter resigned as chairwoman in 2000. Or res, I'm sorry, she resigned as chairwoman in 2017. And as I, um, so, you know. This all happened right around 2017, 2018, going on Access Television. But, you know, we talk about TNA, Impact Wrestling. So, uh, technically, the name TNA was dead in 2017 when they rebranded in, in Impact Wrestling. But us hardcore fans know that TNA died a long time ago. And how they held on was, quite frankly, a miracle. Um... It's just flat out amazing. So to me, that is the albeit brief explanation of TNA from a business, you know, what happened, how the company went hands from different partners and owners. And we're going to get into some other things too. I want, I want to talk about the highs of TNA and we can get into some more lows, even though I felt we just basically just the whole show was just a low of TNA. Uh, is there anything that stands out to you? So they went and got Billy Corgan. Yes. Who... Let's let's just call the what Smashing Pumpkins was. After Cobain died, the they could have taken the mantle of being the band of the world, and he shat on that too. So, someone who couldn't rise to the top in his own industry is financing a an organization that collapsed on its own again. What more failures? What's high? 
What is high in this company? TNA what highs you got? They were so desperate. They needed some sort of funding. And if you got a guy who's a wrestling fan that's got a little bit of money to back it up, it's like, hey, man, yeah, we'll have it. We'll take it. We'll take you on. So they needed it. It didn't matter who it was. It could have been a professional, you know, an athlete who had bankroll. They needed Jesus money Christ, desperately. Jesus Christ, this, this organization seems like it, it, it just destined to fail. It is destined to fail. So, and here, yo, you want to hear another little more? Who was the commentators for fucking TNA? Oh, well, dude, I actually enjoyed... Together, I enjoyed the partnership of Mike Tenay and Don West. I personally liked them. Don West was a salesman who could put over any move, and Mike Tenay had the acumen of the all the moves and all like you know from the Mexican style that he did in WCW the Cruiserweights. I know Mike Tenay is a very I don't want to say controversial figure because a lot of people like him, a lot of people don't like him. I know you don't like him. Hey, look, look, hey, here's this doorknob right here by the door. It has more personality than fucking Mike Tenay. I'd rather have a doorknob announcing the fucking wrestling than fucking Mike Tenay. I didn't mind Mike Tenay and Don West. Now, I thought Mike Tenay and Taz weren't a good fit. They were, yeah, they weren't a good commentating duo. Um, I, I do want to kind of touch on, you know, if we want to get on to some other things of TNA. Of I'm their- just saying, at that time... You had two people you could have got that probably would have went way better for everybody. One, you had, um, oh, fuck, I'm losing my mind. Joey Styles, sweet thing. You got Joey Styles, you could have you brought in. He don't need nobody. He could buy himself. Mm-hmm. And you had Shivani. See, I don't think, I, I don't know if they ever actually approached Tony Shivani because I don't think he ever did anything with TNA. Probably not because they're dumb enough not to. So... I would have much preferred Tony Schiavone over Mike Tenay, 100%. Uh, but, yeah, I know. it. I really didn't mind Mike Tenay and Don West. But, to your point, a lot, he, Mike Tenay, a lot of people didn't like him. If I want to go over a lot of things that TNA did that really, I felt, was the kind of pushed them down in the eyes of uh, wrestling promotions, I'll go over 12 quick things. Uh, let's see. Or really, maybe ten or eleven things. You know, one of them being they repeatedly try to make the NWO happen again and again. They try to make make factions seem as if they were the next NWO, like the Aces of Eight, which was a cool idea at the time. They took these individual like retribution, like how they had mass people, but these guys were bikers, and they would show up, and they would, and each week they had like maybe a new guy, or every month they'd have a new guy join the crew with a new mask. They never revealed themselves. But where the thing kind of went haywire was the the true leader ended up being like was supposed to be like Devon at the time, which was like a weird leader for the group. And then ultimately, uh, I think Ken Anderson, Miss Kenny joined the group, which was kind of cool. They had Mike Knotts, they had Luke Gallows in the group, so they looked like a bunch of badass bikers. And then the, the ultimate reveal was Bully Ray, the heel, which was actually a good thing because I thought Bubba Ray Dudley, aka Bully Ray, was he got in shape, he had a mouth. He legit looked like a decent bad guy villain for this time. But the Aces and Eight, they wanted to make him bigger than what they were. Oh, by the way, another key member of this was uh, Eric Bischoff's son. Was in the group. Yeah, go figure that one. But they also kept trying with other things, too. They tried Fortune, which was like a modern-day version of the Four Horsemen, which was kind of weird. They put Ric Flair as the the face, but it was really... AJ Styles was the main character. Then you had Frankie Kazarian... Uh, I think Bobby Roode was in it, and uh, Desmond Wolf was another guy in the faction as well. Another key uh, bad thing TNA did 
was obviously, we talked about it, the Monday Night Wars, which only lasted nine weeks. We talked about that. Uh, Hulk Hogan. Let's just briefly delve into all the fuck-ups he did. They should have never signed Hulk Hogan. God knows the amount of money they paid to get his name on the fucking marquee. Um, Got a question. Yeah. Highest range ever had was because of who? It was Hulk Hogan. Okay. Yeah. You, look, same thing when WCW did it. They needed, they needed the, the rating. People go, as much as a cancer he is, you gotta, gotta admit, the guy fucking draws people. Okay, so I will touch on your, I will add to your point and say that, honestly, if Hogan had only been involved to appear on TV, things might not have gone as horribly as they did. Because uh, his on-screen character did work for TNA, but then he was also a non-wrestling authority role, and then Hogan was heavily involved behind the scenes, and... You know, now albeit he was never going to book himself as world champion or any of that crazy shit that he would have done WCW, but his influence still led many decisions that would cripple TNA in a variety of ways. Most obviously, of course, him bringing in a bunch of his old buddies uh, that were well past their prime decades ago. You know, uh, we talked about the Nasty Boys. You know, Hogan pushed for TNA to leave the Impact Zone and start touring in other other uh, events. But this incurred massive production expenses that the company was unable to offset with ticket sales, which also left them without a home office. The experiment just failed completely. And thanks to that, Universal Studios pretty much gave the building to somebody else to use because of this. So Hogan's decisions were very bad for the overall TNA product as itself. Because if you're sitting there, you're not you're not making money. That's the thing. It, it has been proven back Back in the day with WCW being at Universal Studios. Yes, it's great. What happens is when when they were at uh, Disney Studios, you, you have you get this new crowd that comes in at all like all hours of the day. You can put your matches on. Well that's what TNA that's was. Cheap. That was cheap. That's cheap. But you're not making money. You're not making money. I'll give you that one. I'll agree with right? you on that one. So in the in the wrestling business, Hogan is right. You make your money touring. The problem they had in there, people it, don't want to fucking see it. People, yeah, ticket sales weren't weren't up to, to the part, and the expense and the, exp, the expenses of all the production costs and moving all the stuff that offset the tickets just weren't there. But TNA should have known that, and they should have stayed with the company. But yeah, uh, being a weekly they thing, they would not. But but Kurt, they would not be a company if they didn't try, because if you just not tour and you would not try, what really are you building? Where are you going to find your fans when you can't be found on TV? When they lost that contract with with uh, Spike, where do fans go find them? Where is Destination America? Where is Pop TV? Where's fucking Access? You need to have a, a cable provider that offers those channels, That's and everyone the thing. knows. Yeah. We're around in the world. We're around this country. You, you can find all that. At the time, hardly any. The problem is to get your name your name out, you have to tour, and I don't think they did that correctly, because I don't think they had really anybody that that that, you know, if they would have been like let's say like they if they would have done like made it as a southeast company, mm-hmm. and you tour from Nashville, to to uh, Nashville, Memphis, Carolinas, Atlanta, yeah, Florida's, like- and you just stay in that area. You might make the name because you know that's a great wrestling territory. That's that's three. That's like four wrestling territories, put in one, and you can probably build that the momentum. That's where the problem is. Like 
I might say now it makes business sense to stay to have your own home area and for development shows. Like NXT should not be traveling; they should always be in Orlando or if if you go, just stay in Florida. They don't need to go to Texas. They don't need to go. They just stay in Florida. Build up. They they don't have the talent to to go draw. You know, same thing would have been like with um, WCW. If you would have a show that was just going to do for development, yeah, you stay in Atlanta or you stay in Orlando. But you got you got stars. If, then people you named you had you had uh uh Kurt uh, um <laughs> Kurt Angle Sting. Mm-hmm. My question is this: all these people, all these great wrestling Hall of Famers. And you tell me they couldn't fucking draw. I know, I'm gonna get. I'll, I'll get into that one right now because when TNA started the company, they were completely different than WWE as much as they wanted to be because they needed to stand out. But then slowly, as they started gaining a fan base, they wanted to be WWE. And I'm gonna give you some spot on examples. Yeah, because here's the did. thing: gimmicks can only go so far. Let's talk about that ring. Oh, as much as it's great at the beginning. Oh, this is different. This is unique. But after a while, I was like, "All right, dude, like, come on, it's not, it's not a wrestling ring." It made them different, and it made them what they were. And to hardcore fans, I stand, I stand by the six-sided ring. But I will give you a reason. What to me, another reason why I think they did bad was the fact that, um, let's see, okay, so we had the, the standouts of the company that were awesome in the, uh, for TNA was the X Division. It's not about weight limits; it's about no limits. It's some of the biggest stars and the best matches came out of the X Division. We talked about AJ Styles, Chris Daniels, Samoa Joe. Also, uh, you know, they moved these guys. The X Division was even moved to the main event spot because they knew that those guys were guaranteed to put on bangers. And the future as a company was focused on great wrestlers and fantastic wrestling. Similarly, years before WWE's Divas Revolution, TNA jumped onto the concept of making women's wrestling legitimate again, a la the TNA Knockouts Division with Gail Kim. Even WWE's Victoria, uh, aka Tara, for TNA was another big name in that division. Uh, they often brought the highest TV ratings on a weekly basis, both those the X Division and the, the TNA Knockouts. However, after leaning on those divisions to build the company, when TNA decided to go up against WWE directly, they stopped trying to be unique and instead tried to emulate their competition. The X Division was then regulated to a sideshow for wrestlers deemed too small to hang with the real wrestlers, and the Knockouts division regressed as well with catfights and untrained models replacing legitimate wrestlers. By presenting something that wasn't any different than what WWE was offering, only on a smaller scale and a lower budget, TNA made themselves look more inferior, like more inferior copycats, than instead of a true alternative. So that does speak upon your point when you're talking about stuff like that. Okay, and I also think thing to this too. Well, they had the six-sided ring. When they got rid of the six-sided ring? When Hogan came on board. What year was that? 2010. 2010? Yeah. Yeah, let's see. Let's look at these uh, ratings. Um, highest rating without uh, 1.3. Okay. 1.3. Next. Okay. No, not even 1.3. So, I'm sorry. 1.2. 1. 1. 1. Okay, 1. so I'm still going to go over a couple more things that the TNA did that was down. And I'm going to I will talk. I'm gonna end it with TNA's high points. Uh, WB cast-offs over homegrown talent, and this is another big factor for me whatsoever. Speaking of TNA copying WB, one of the biggest factors working against TNA was its massive inferiority complex. Nobody's saying that they shouldn't have signed Christian, Kurt Angle, the Dudley Boys, because obviously, you know, when you have a smaller promotion trying to get attention, you need wrestlers that people already know. Okay. So, it, it, 
Look, you can go cast-offs, all right? And that's what they are. Because I'm about to say something very controversial yeah. to everybody, to y'all and everybody else. So you go get Christian Cage, right? Mm-hmm. The B of Edgy Christian. He's the B. I enjoyed no, Chris. Okay. But, just, say, but yes, truth, yes, he, right? yes, yes. Okay. In the era of Kurt Angle, Kurt Angle was C. Because he was C to The Rock and Steve Austin. But this was 2006, so he was like the wrestling machine. He was one of their bigger stars outside of top three, I would say. Maybe top four, Cena, Undertaker, Triple H, Michaels. So, okay, so he's F in the no, WWE. No, he's still one. No, oh, fuck that shit. What's the draw in the WWE? Was he the guy? No, not 2006. No, I'm talking about anywhere. Anywhere. In his career in WWE, was he the number one guy? No, he wasn't. Okay, so you be talent. Then you could start going on and you start getting Sting. Sting was number one talent, was a talent in WCW. Yeah. No. And it's been so many years until he gets to, gets to, gets to the TNA, it kind of wears off. And he couldn't do it. He, he, he didn't have the people to... One thing about Sting is I thought Sting was a great character it was a great gimmick. The problem was, he didn't make himself. Ric Flair made him. Luger made him. Hogan made him. Everybody had to make him because he had to make him look such baby. And what you're saying is all the talent they were bringing in, the cast-offs, were the B-teams, were the C's. They weren't bringing high-class A talent into TNA or Impact, whatever the fuck it's called. You, that is a good... Solid point. I will disagree with you with the Kurt Angle point. I thought that was a huge acquisition for them. But the point that that I will make to your... Well, I'll add to your point was that when they brought in those guys, like I said, Christian Cage, Kurt Angle, Dudley Boys, you needed those names to give you ratings because fans knew them and they loved Dudley those Dudley Boys, A-Talent. Yeah. That's their A-Talent they had. So... They had an A-Team... That, a talent that was a WWE but a problem coach. with bringing in a lot of these WWE cast offs and those guys were not cast offs but when you brought in you know uh, like a lot of time during the release season a lot of those names that you would see in WWE like Orlando Jordan um, you know yet you know even Booker T when he was already kind of done with his career B. those guys they would go to TNA and when they went to TNA here's what the real problem was without exception when a former WWE superstar came into the company they were instantly betrayed as being far more important and better than the wrestlers that had been with TNA since the beginning wrestlers like AJ Styles Bobby Roode Samoa Joe who ironically are now well on their ways to becoming even bigger stuff well no this is at the time of this writing they become established stars in WWE and this often shunted aside at a moment's notice so you're downgrading your own homegrown talent in favor of Basic yes. mid carters Yes, for Kurt, WB. because why? Because even though that there were B talent and C talent, the 3.5.5 million people that are watching Raw yeah, and were. watching SmackDown know them. Yes. They don't know who the fuck who AJ Styles was at the time. They don't know who fucking Smoker Joe is at the time. So to bring in the people to the t- television, you got to have people. That's why I keep saying week in, week out. You got to put belts on. You got the, the WWE talent and that's going in AEW, and the high end WWE talent you have in AEW. You got to put belts on them to make sure get to the people. They're not there yet with their viewerships. 
This is where I'm going to... Okay, we've been on this argument. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to touch this argument too, too long, but I'm just going to give my, my point to this one. What you said is correct, but you need to have these guys because they were seen by the 3.5 million viewership. But the 3.5 million viewership isn't your current fucking viewership that is at the moment TNA. The hardcore fans that are currently watching your one-point viewership are dead set on the wrestlers that they love the AJ Styles. So when you bring those wrestlers from the other promotion, because those 3.5 million aren't coming over because... Well, actually, I did when Christian Cage came along originally. Oh, he's not in WWE. What is he doing in TNA? Oh, they put the NBA War title on him? Hey, let's see how he does as a main eventer. But case, you just made my case. overall, I'm one of the few people that did that. But the fans that were the hardcore fans that stayed with TNA, they wanted to see those guys stand out. And when you bring in those mid-card guys to kind of shun them down, you're not helping your product overall because you need to build homegrown stars from your developmental systems overall. Well, like you said... They made the X Division into the main event. They did, and then they fucking went in reverse. Okay. But I, I, when they made the when they made the X Division into the main events, what years? It was two thousand five when they did it the first time. Okay. All right. And they, then when they went to kind of met band, uh, also two thousand five, they made made they were the main events, right? That, yeah, September 2005. Well, it was they didn't have a TV network deal at that time. They were doing webcast shows in between because they didn't. They signed in October the deal in uh, 2005, but it was September 2005. Uh, son of a gun. Was the turning point? Yeah, turning point September 2005. But um, while you look that up, I do want to. Oh, I can tell you right now, they averaged 800,000 people in 2005 on on, on yeah, network TV. That's not you know that bad. Point eight. That's probably what, uh, dude, fucking AEW does like uh, 900,000 to 1.1 million right now. Exactly. So that's not bad. Another thing that I thought TNA had that was pretty good for them, and I'll touch on this point real briefly, was they killed the Bound for Glory series concept. One of TNA's actually really best ideas was the Bound for Glory series, which was essentially a round-robin tournament leading to the off to the biggest pay-per-view of the year. Basically, you had a dozen of TNA's top wrestlers. They would take part... In the months prior to the Bound for Glory, their biggest pay-per-view, and every match that they were involved in was worth various numbers of points. The points were tracked, and a leaderboard displayed regularly during Impact. The most of the weekly programming was devoted to the series, and at the final pay-per-view before Bound for Glory, the top four wrestlers ranked by points would face off in a single elimination tournament with the winner earning a TNA world title shot at Bound for Glory. Many fans over the years pegged wrestling companies to occasionally treat their products somewhat like a legitimate sport. And Bound for Glory actually fucking did that. So, you know, I know AEW tried to do a whole thing where, um, you know, wins matter. And they should because it's a sport. I think I still stand by that to a degree. And I know you can't always do that because sometimes you book yourself with two undefeated stars. And you do the whole no-hoods bar thing. So somebody loses but doesn't technically count on their on their fucking uh, record. But I thought that was a very unique idea with TNA. Another thing that fucking hurt TNA was losing support of Panda Energy. Alas, you know, uh, let's just be frank. A vast majority of the wrestling companies don't make money. Let's just be realistic. WCW only showed a profit for two years of its entire existence. And those profits were wiped out almost instantly when the company started going downhill. WWE is, is the exception. They are not the rule. It took ruthless business practices getting into pay-per-view marketing before anyone knew how a lucrative deal was going to be. Almost 16 other factors included an incredible amount of luck to get where they are today. So when you want to start a wrestling company, what you need more than anything else is a money mark. That is someone with a very deep pockets who doesn't mind losing money because of the theoretical prestige of ownership. And for a while, TNA had that in the form of Dixie Carter and her family's business, Panda Energy. Now, when TNA had a near bottomless resources of Panda Energy behind it, financial losses were a relative drop in the bucket. 
But after years of losing money on the product that didn't seem like it was headed anywhere near a profitable direction, at least becoming less of a money sink, Panda Energy cut off funding. And when Dixie Carter was suddenly forced to make her vanity side project profitable on its own, the fact that the company actually had no real ways of making any money became a huge issue. So, you know, let's just take a second to look at exactly why TNA was actually never in a position to make money when the on-screen product was actually fairly good. You know, they had lack of revenue streams. Uh, anyone who paid attention to WB's quarterly financial reports ever since it went public knows that they want to make the most of their money from a combination of live event ticket sales and their lucrative TV deals, merchandise, and pay-per-view buys, which were eventually replaced by, you know, the WB network, which is on the Peacock. When you look at TNA in terms of potential revenue streams, you can see that even when it was doing well, it couldn't possibly have been profitable. When TNA had a secured home in the impact zone at Universal Studios for years, admission was free <laughs> to anyone who was already paying to visit to the theme Kurt, park. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Yeah, <coughs> wrestling companies lose money. All right? Yeah. But there's, you could say, oh, lack of revenue streams. All right? I don't give a shit about that. When they beat fucking WWE in ratings. They never. All right, fuck them. They're a failure. Least, least WCW might not have only made a profit for two years, but guess what? I was going to say. 83 that. weeks, they fucking beat them. They did. And it's something that's memorable. People remember it. There's characters that came out of that people still to this day remember stuff that is iconic in the masses. TNA doesn't have it because they weren't showing it to people. Yeah, you could be at one place all the time, but touring gets you to understand, you know? How much money, yeah, WCW lost money first, first the first Nitro episode, they lost money because it was a free episode in the Mall of America. America. Yeah. You know? But it's iconic. To this day, that is one of the most iconic wrestling shows because it was like, it was in the fucking mall. Yeah, I watched in nineteen ninety five. I didn't watch wrestling, but I did watch them because I was like, "Wow, it's 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 unique." Well, There's nothing, and this is from 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 <laughs> just an, uh, you know at the time, I wasn't diehard watching it at this time, but I never had a peek into oh TNA like oh they brought Sting like really like Sting like Hogan it just to me it was like watch the match but and then it's also like hey like I said they were bringing B and C's not A's into TNA so like. The eyes weren't really going to them, but they had to f use them yeah, to well, be there. They had, they had to force to make them into A's just to get eyeballs. Well, yeah, I mean, Spike TV was the people that were paying the, the contracts of Kurt Angle and Sting. They had to for the larger talents because they, they TNA Impact wasn't a profitable company at the time. But, yeah, AE, okay, so WCW, I don't even want to touch on that subject. Yeah, they were they were profitable for two years, and they beat eight, uh, WB for 83 weeks. It's all about... The grand scheme of things being profitable, and they're just, they just weren't. They just had funding from them. WB, WCW, the same fucking thing. They had Ted Turner. That was their bankroll. W Vince McMahon was your funding, so he was never going to fuck it up because it was his money. WCW spent other people's money, and TNA pretty much did the same fucking thing. So to your point, WCW doing the same thing TNA did. No, TNA did the same thing <clears throat> WCW did. Yeah, correct, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, reverse, yeah. That's uh, the thing, but <clears throat> in a, to me, in a large scheme of things, and like a lot of times we, we, we go like that, because I also think like, too, Dixie Carr is one of the main reasons why this company went oh, well, down to we'll shit. Just, we can talk to her about her right now. So like, 
and I, and I we, we can keep going on and, and bringing up shit and find new shit. To I just work. wanted to touch on, yeah, two more things, and then I was going to talk about the good. But if you got something else, please. We can talk about Dixie Carter. Um, Fucking cunt. Let's see. Ooh, I can't say that. Oh. We're going to get, get canceled. Oh, <laughs> that's right. I run the show. I don't Anybody give a fuck. fuck. Yeah, me neither. I don't give a shit. Say whatever you want. Um... Well, let's see. Okay, so her parents... Well, actually, Tian, Dixie Carter did do a lot of good in the sense that she was the one that sold her family, her parents, the, the back to funding a TNA Impact. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a TNA Impact. So for that, thank you, Dixie Carter. But she did do a lot of bad. Um, she listened blindly because she didn't really know what she was doing. She brought in Hulk Hogan, listened to dumb ideas. Uh, for any sale of TNA, always came with the caveat that they would see Carter retain a role with the company. Given that her actions had regularly put the company into bad financial positions, anyone attempting to buy the company almost certainly did did not want her having input on how it was run. In addition, Carter had transitioned into an on-screen role that was reportedly did not want to give up without a fight. Thus, any potential saviors d- disappeared as quickly as they came due to Carter's refusal to fully let go of the company she was driving into the ground. Even when TNA was literally bankrupt and forced to sell stakes in the company in order to pay bills, even the 11th hour when it looked like TNA's only option was to sell their remaining stake to investors or go out of business, reports continued to flood in that Carter's involvement in the negotiations were making what would have been a relatively simple decision far harder than they needed to be. I don't necessarily hate Dixie Carter because I, I thank her for selling the pan, her family's business into the company, but she did have a lot of bad decisions that cost them a lot. Uh, ultimately, TNA was a victim of trying to be something they weren't, which was a legitimate competitor at WB. Certainly, there's always a room for a number two promotion in North American pro wrestling. And more than that, many independent promotions have managed to survive for years in WB shadows. At times, TNA even had plenty of wrestlers who were comparable in those skills to WB, as evidenced by the fact that many of them are now significant parts of WB's current roster, or, you know, well, AEW's roster at this point. However, rather than stay small, develop their own homegrown talent along with the mix of veterans from WB and the independent scene, create a loyal fan base and a dedicated territory and absorb some of the early losses in what would be a long and much difficult territory and, uh, I'm sorry, a long and difficult journey towards an even moderate inkling of success, TNA tried to have something, or they tried to have everything right away, let's just be honest, or quite frank. They weren't content for the wait for some day. They wanted to be the new WCW to the modern WWE. And they wanted it now. So they tried to jump the line, sign a TV deal with a network that had recently been spurned by WWE, sign top former WWE talent to lucrative deals, shelled out money for expensive guest stars, and tried to appear to the world as if they were ready to compete on the big stage, while underneath their tenuous financial situation that relied largely on the generosity of Spike TV and Dixie Carter's father, basically inserted that the company was always one bad day away from disappearing. By trying to compete at WWE's level before they were financially able to do so, and it's unlikely that they ever would have been, TNA was a company that couldn't afford to make a single mistake because they had no safety net if things didn't go as planned. Unfortunately, everyone makes mistakes. So those are TNA's biggest mistakes within their company history. We delved on it. I want to talk about the good of TNA. While we close this out. Actually, you know what? Let's just briefly talk about the ratings. And then I want to talk about the good in TNA. End on a high note. Because this has been sad. Uh, I've done my job. Let's just discuss the ratings. Uh, currently, I'll get into the the currently TNA's on Access Television. And unless you have, like, say, I have AT&T. Um, 
Uverse. I couldn't even think of the damn name. Uh, and I get Access Television. It's 11.06. So I'm able to watch Impact Wrestling on Thursday nights at 8, uh, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 7 o'clock Central Time. It's a two-hour show. Please watch it if you can. If you can't watch it, you could always go on. They have the Impact Plus, which is $7.99 a month. They show it. Or you can go on their YouTube channel. They have an Impact uh, subscription, which is $4.99. And you can still watch old... Uh, you can watch current Impact Wrestling there. Impact Plus has all the old pay-per-views. They do weekly, uh, at, you know, I'm not going to say premium live events, but it's similar to premium live events. And they also have, uh, I think, three or four pay-per-views that you have to buy that you don't get included on the Impact Plus show, like this past week's Slammiversary. So, to me, it's worth the content uh, if, you, if you're hardcore wrestling fans. But, yeah, at their, right now, currently, because it's on Access Television... I'll give you, let's just do 2021 wrestling as a whole, and I'm talking all of wrestling, AEW, WWE included. 6.29 million viewers total, which averaged for TNA about 120,000 viewers a week. That's And then 2022 currently, or uh, Impact Wrestling is getting 115,000 viewers on a weekly episode. Again, it's on Access Television. It's not on like you know Fox or NBC or any of those things. But in its prime, in its heyday, I'm gonna give you TNA's biggest. Uh, actually, you know what? I'll give you their top ten highest-rated shows, and I'll give you their from 2005 to 2010 what their averages were back then to compare it to what it is today. So their number one highest-rated show we talked about one four, January 4, 2010, which is 1.5. Again, in January they had another 1.4. Uh, November 2007, they had a 1.3. Uh, February 2009, 1.3. So a lot of 1.3s. Actually, all 1.3s uh, from 3 to 11. So it's was, it was interesting to see that 11, uh, 07, they had a 1.3. But everything between 2009 2010, that's where your 1.3s, 1.1s came for. And those are solid numbers to sell if you're a network marketer. It's spiked to sell advertisers and sponsors because that's what you really want to do. Get your advertising money because, honestly, at the end of the day, that's all that fucking matters. Uh, 2005, when they finally signed their deal with Spike, they had a .08 average. 2006, they had an 8.89 average. 2007, 1.05. 2008, 1.05. 2009, 1.13. 2010, 1.022 average, which was their highest that they would have TNA slash Impact Wrestling history. So those are pretty solid numbers because that's about what Impact, I mean, uh, AEW gets today. And I know what you could say, a lot of people cut the cord, but you cannot lie. Uh, they would. Uh, those are pretty decent numbers to be a solid competitor. Or an, not a competitor, but an alternative to WWE. I'll stand with that number. And I will give you, let's see. Let's just go over, where is it? Do I not have it up? Son of a gun. Okay, uh... Let's just go with five things TNA did better than WWE. What the f- oh, this is going to be great. Well, their invading factions were actually much better than WWE's invading factions. The Aces and Eight wasn't bad. Uh, Broken Matt Hardy. Broken Matt Hardy actually was pretty fucking good. It was a revitalization of Matt Hardy's character and Brother Nero, Jeff Hardy. I know the Hardys are kind of tough subject to touch on currently with everything, but... That reinvented Matt's uh, career, and that was a pretty damn good idea, and I did enjoy that. Uh, High Fly Wrestling, obviously. X Division. Fuck yeah, that to me is their number one. 
thing that they did way better than WWE because the new style of today's wrestling is pretty much what is the current uh, X Division was back in 2002 to 2007. Women's wrestling. Touched upon that too. The knockout division. You want to see the, the WWE women's wrestling today was to me 2007 knockouts women's wrestling back then. And I stand by that. Say and that again? Was that, was that statement? I said the knock, women's knockout division of let's say 2007-2008 to me was what kind of spurned the uh, the way women wrestle today. You could say yeah, while wrestling other women's promotions that I don't really know too, too much about. But for me as a viewer who watched the knockouts division is what really put women's wrestling over. They weren't doing stupid pillow fight bullshit, mud wrestling, pain, bra and panties matches. They put on actual wrestling matches. And some of these women could actually wrestle too. As opposed to having like models and, and shit like that. Like, you know, Candace Michelle, Kelly Kelly, you know, stuff like that. And then number one, oh, the entire year 2006. <laughs> Much of 2006 for WB was like a failed throwback to the 90s. We had the reunion of Shawn Michaels and Triple H, which was nowhere near as entertaining as their first run nine years earlier, back in 1996 19, or 1997. DX was groundbreaking, pushing the envelope as far as possible. But uh, WB also in 2006 had the fucking WB ECW revival, a pointless Kane versus Kane storyline. So TNA in 2006 was kicking ass. Uh, they had the icon Sting come out of retirement, join the company, and they Christian Cage came on. Kurt Angle signed in 2006. Also, your homegrown talent was kicking ass. AJ Styles, Samoa Joe. Du you know, you had Dudley Boys, you had Eric Young, Bobby Roode, Raven, Rhino, Gail Kim, Alex Shelley, Jay Lethal, Chris Saban, LAX, America's Most Wanted. Even Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were doing something. Some things positive with the company. They weren't wrestling, but they were putting over younger talent, which was hard to believe they did. But they they were trying to at that time because they were getting paid well for it. Let's put it that way. So I do want to kind of close out with Impact Wrestling's ten greatest moments. They had the birth of the main event Mafia, which was actually pretty fucking cool because it made them kind of heels. You had Sting. Who, when he talked, took off the face paint. They wore suits. Kurt Angle, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, I mean, no, Scott Steiner, Booker T. They formed a main event mafia. Which so was, the retirement mafia. That's your point. I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, well, they have Ken Anderson versus, or Mr. Anderson versus Kurt Angle lockdown 2010. It was, actually was nice seeing somebody who should have been a star in WWE, who had two times should have been a fucking megastar, get... Uh, injuries and a steroid accusation suspension got him pushed down. He got his final moment in TNA. Uh, also, AJ Styles wins the World Heavyweight Championship. No Surrender 2009 was a pretty badass moment in TNA's history. Because AJ Styles, even though he won the NWA World Title in the early days, when he finally won the TNA World Title, was a big, big deal when he beat Sting for it. Uh... Let's see, unveiling of the immortal. Oh God, they had that as a better one. No, that that wasn't good at all. Signing with Spike TV was a huge deal with the company. Yeah, to your point, that uh, Hulk Hogan episode did bring in pretty high ratings, which made TNA feel like a bigger thing than what it was. The the weekly 
these are all things that started the company. These aren't big moments. Oh, these are big moments. Maybe not the best of TNA. I clicked the wrong list. I'm looking at this. I'm like, no, this shit. We talked about the five-star match with AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, and Samoa Joe, which put on the fact that, hey, some of these young guys can fucking go. Maybe we should lie like that. And, uh... Doesn't sell. I'm going to tell you right now what my personal favorite things of TNA was. Yeah, yeah let's put your... Fuck what, what you find on the internet. What's your, no, 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 what's gonna... your top five? Well, like I said, T, uh, 2007 Knockouts Division. You had the Samoa, the X Division. You had a tag team division wrestling back in like 2008, 2009 because you had Motor City Machine Guns. You had the Young Bucks who were Generation Me. You had Beer Money Inc. You had Team 3D. You had... They pushed tag team wrestling for a while. That's number three. Um, yeah, fuck yeah, man. Kurt Angle being the wrestling machine with Sting with 2006, 2007. That kicked ass. And what would my final thing be? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh... Just be an alternative to fucking WWE, man. Like, look, TNA gave wrestling fans a legitimate alternative to WWE that was sorely needed. TNA also also a platform for future wrestling stars that we already talked about them. TNA gave second chance to wrestlers too that were released. Now that might have been detriment, but it also could was a decent thing for a time. I personally have very fond memories of TNA from 2005 to 2007, and I was entertained by the promotion, and I stuck with it until 2012. I started watching it again right around COVID 2020 when we started doing this show, and I still watch Access TV today, and I will continue to watch it as long as TNA Impact Arise because it had a lot of good things to it, and you should go back and watch those matches because they still hold up. Anything with Kurt Angle? Yeah. I got me uh, a topic for a future show. But. Well, I'm hey, I know we just. I'm not gonna say we completely. Decimate. I wanted to touch on the 20 years of how TNA and what they're at today, and I wanted to touch on the highs of TNA and currently with the young stars that they have. A lot of a lot of nowadays on Access Television, they have a smaller roster. When Ring of Honor got purchased by uh, AEW, a lot of those Ring of Honor guys, um, Kenny King, Eddie well, was already on TNA. Uh, Mike Bennett, Matt Tavern, uh, PCO, those guys went to TNA. A lot of people signed six-month contracts. You had W. Morrissey, who I wasn't a big fan of, who was big cast in WWE. He got sober, got in the best shape of his life. He had a pretty good run with TNA. The Iconics in WWE signed a six-month deal as the inspiration. They recently, their six-month deal release, and they left wrestling as a whole. The TNA Impact made deals. They had a deal briefly with AEW where they had some of their wrestlers merge. They had deals with New Japan because you had Jay Lethal, who would still make appearances on TNA with the Bullet Club. You are, they're finding life as best as they can by merging with smaller wrestling promotions to stay relevant, and I love that. They're on Access Television. They're probably doing around 800,000 to one, to, uh, eight, I'm sorry, 80,000 to 100,000 viewerships a week. Their promotions are struggling. I don't know what the foreseeable future is for the company. I, I flat out don't know. The fact that they're owned by Anthem Sports and they have their own network with Access TV, they could stay on that company. They could stay on that network as long as they're owned by Anthem. So that's good news for them. But long term, do I see them being around for another 20 years? No. I, I flat out don't. Um, I would love for them to be because I'm a personal fan of TNA. But I'm just being realist here. 
it's it's a struggle. Um, I like how other it's another platform for wrestlers to go to, who want to leave AEW, go to or WWE, who get released quarterly to go to TNA or Impact Wrestling. By all means, do so. And they still focus on women's wrestling too there as well. So they got pretty good female wrestlers as well. Anything you want to touch on? I'm going to let you leave it on a high Yeah, note. I want to leave it on a high note because I still... Because uh, we can cut that. We can cut all the things you said that was positive. We can cut that shit down. I will say this, though. 20 years of TNA, right? Yeah, 20 years. And we have 20 years of Ring of Honor who produced more. Oh, well, uh, wasn't, well, Ring of Honor was owned by, like, Viacom, or one of the companies from, like, CBS or something owned Ring of Honor. They had a big parent company. Who produced more, what do you mean? Who who produced more talent? Well, that's kind of, I mean, AJ Styles wrestled Ring of Honor, Samojo wrestled Ring of Honor, so that's kind of unfair. Okay, but let's talk about people that originated... AJ Styles is not in that conversation. Oh, AJ Styles is another... WCW. <coughs> wait, 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 AJ Styles is wait, WCW. Wait, wait, wait. So let's, let's, no, let's bullshit. He was with WCW for fucking one month when they ran out of goddamn business. To say he was a WCW, throw that shit out the argument. He was a TNA boy. It was the first match of TNA's history in a six-man tag. He was their first match ever on TNA. AJ Styles is a hell of a promotion. Samoa Joe did wrestle Ring of Honor, but he got over in TNA. Um, dude... Let's, we didn't even fucking talk about this. Shame on me. Drew Galloway, a.k.a. Drew McIntyre, went when he got released by WWE with a three-man band, went off to, uh, what was it, uh, WCCW or PCW, whatever they were in England, went to TNA, kind of reinvented himself, got over again in TNA before he went back to NXT. And here's the biggest thing I didn't fucking talk about. Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley... As you see his stardom today in WWE, he was over in TNA because when he was in WWE in 2006 to 2007, he felt like another forced muscle muscle guy. When he was with TNA, because he had kind of done some things in mixed martial arts, he earned every title he fucking won. And he reinvented his career, him and MVP together. And I they, thought the, hold on, let me read this question again. Who from homegrown talent from Impact rivals... Homegrown talent from Ring of Honor. AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Bobby Roode. AJ Styles. I'm sorry. James Storm. AJ Styles started in the fucking 90s. No. Impact. No, no, no. AJ Styles. Started in the fucking 90s in another. Not, fuck WCW. He started in the 90s. Impact what, started in What promotion did he get over? Are you shitting me right now? AJ Styles. First, first thing. First thing. He didn't get over in fucking Impact because they didn't. he was not their number one guy. Was he the number one guy in Impact at any point? I mean, for a long term, was he the number one? Because obviously you kept saying you kept saying main event mafia. You keep saying bring all these big stars. Two thousand eleven. Was he the man? Was he the fucking when he was in man. Fortune? He was for two years from two thousand eleven to two thousand twelve. Right before he left the company, he was the man. He was their go-to. So if he was the man, how come they didn't retain him? It was behind the scenes bullshit, creative collaborative. He didn't get along with them. Okay. But he is there. But well, let me tell you something. As much as his career was, <laughs> what happened in TNA, his career really took off even more when he was in fucking New Japan. He went- Look, I'm going to call it what it is. It's like baseball. TNA is a fucking, is, a, is <laughs> single A fucking wrestling. That's what it was. It's where major league players that didn't want to quit, quit the game yet, go. 
and where you need to work on your talent to get back to the majors. That's where it was. It was a stepping stone. But it wasn't like that. But no. Home, just like how you guys were saying, like, Adam Page was homegrown talent with fucking uh, AEW. No, he did not start there. His, his, he made his name. Look, I knew AJ Styles before he was in, in, in Impact. I knew AJ Styles from, from WCW. I remember AJ Styles and Independence before Impact, before fucking TNA. That's not homegrown talent. I'm saying homegrown talent. People, you go look at the list and go, they, Samoa Joe is to me is their most homegrown talent. Because I never heard of him until TNA. Dude, you, I'm not even going to talk about this anymore. AJ Styles, people know him because of TNA. Nobody remembers him WCW with the tag team WCW Cruiserweight division. Nobody remembers that shit. Everybody remembers him from next division TNA and then getting over as the NBA champion, ultimately being the TNA world champion. I'll, but I'll, I'm going to move on from that one. But I will agree with you with the uh, other guys going the major leagues, kind of going down elite to TNA to go back to like the higher like WBs. Yeah, I'll give you that one. But uh. But no, man, I mean, you need competition. And now that we have AEW, who's your second alternative wrestling promotion, uh, yeah, Impact will never have those highs again because you have AEW in the way. So Impact will always be, you know, you'll have, let's see, WWE, AEW, New Japan, uh, and then, yeah, I guess fucking Impact. You know, that'll be your third, your fourth promotion maybe, maybe even your fifth. They're gonna be even probably further but, lower because but, I think I think you're gonna have other other promotions about to pop up. Well, you I have let's see GCW. I don't know what they're gonna do with Ring of Honor and AEW. I have no idea what they're gonna do with that. They need to do something about that because they have like 16 world titles with the company. So, uh, but I just want to say in their glory days, they were a legit number two competitor, bringing in 1.1 ratings. That will never take away. Just like WCW number beat two, number two, number two. Yeah, just in America or the world. Uh well no probably America I don't know what New Japan was doing I have no idea what they were doing they were global they were doing well for themselves over there but domestically worldwide I would I don't know I don't I don't know that answer there was, only, that there was only there was only three promotions yeah. in the two thousand well they had Ring of Honor at that time that's what I said they got three promotions yeah, in the two thousand yeah. so they were the number two but it was a um, it was just good times, and I love TNA. And I think finally of it, I'm gonna go back and watch the shit's in the TNA. So I'm gonna end it with that. And I don't know what when we're gonna be back or what we're gonna do next, but we're gonna come up with some topics, and we're gonna keep entertaining you. We're gonna have Ravish and Randy. We're gonna get into it, and I'm a. Uh, I just I'm on a soul crushing thing because of the decline of the company. Something I love passionately into what it is today does make me sad thinking about it. It's like that love. You know, it's like being a kid having something in your town that you loved and then one day they shut down for business because some new venture came across and it's like this thing you love, you have so much nostalgia for is no longer there. A la ECW, WCW, same thing, you know. Our next episode is going to be about money in the bank and we're going to do some fantasy booking. Okay, sweet. And we'll try to get to that to you when we can. We're going to try and record next week if we can. We may have some schedule conflicts. We might have to do this on a two-week basis. But we will put these shows out because this is professional wrestling and I love it and I'm going to keep doing this. So, and I like making them piss off. <laughs> yeah. Pull my bluff for a second there. But we're good. <laughs> we're good. So for today's episode of 20 Years in TNA's History, I'm Total Nonstop Kirk signing off. 
and I got Rampage. No, yeah, I'm out. I'm and trying to look at AJ Styles. Fuck so we will, we will see you next time. Peace. Hit delete.